Hey there. It's another episode from the Five C's Podcast. I'm your host, Charlene Norman, and today we're continuing our series about climate anxiety with psychotherapist Eric Windhurst. Now, Eric is based in Canada, here in the province of Ontario. He's a registered psychotherapist, eco-psychologist, counselor, coach, and mentor. Between you and me, I suspect what makes him a perfect climate anxiety expert is the fact that he found a perfect way to knit together his various degrees in geography, science, theology, and philosophy. And that is why it's so easy for him to balance a person's inner nature, like their true, deep, authentic self, with the outer nature like the wider, more-than-human world we all live in, in order to promote healing and growth. Like all my guests, every one of his details on how you can reach out to him are included in the show notes. Now, last week, I asked Eric to start at the beginning and explain what climate anxiety is and how we can deal with it. And one of the recommendations that he made was to live from our hearts. So that's where we're going to begin today's conversation. Listen in as he begins talking about his own approach to life and living, and then gets into some of the best ways that we can live from our hearts. My philosophy uh, of, of therapy, or really my worldview in general, I talk about inner nature, so one's authentic self, one's true self, and I, I talk about outer nature, like the outer natural world. Uh, the interconnectedness, the planet, even even like the entire the entire reality. And what I aim to help clients do, and I'm not doing this. I'm I'm I kind of describe myself as uh, this image has come up a lot in my dreams of being a bit of a greenhouse uh, for people. Uh, and what does a greenhouse do, or what is a greenhouse? Well, a greenhouse is is somewhat of a it creates kind of the ideal growing conditions for 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 plants or for life. It's not producing the growth. The growth comes out naturally in, 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 in life forms that are having their needs met. You know, provides an ideal temperature and, you know, su- enough sunlight's coming in, uh, enough good nutrition from, you know, water supplies coming in. So it's kind of like creating a little sub-environment within the larger kind of, to, to promote, uh, to mo- kind of promote growth, uh, growing conditions. I'm not doing the growing. I'm just kind of um, providing that kind of habitat there. And what that necessitates is that I'm relatively centered and grounded in my own nature as a person and discovering my own nature as a person is continual and lifelong. Like most of us, I went through different kinds of trauma growing up. Uh, I also witnessed things happening in the world and that caused me to close off aspects of myself and collective trauma and ancestral trauma that got passed down to me, all these things that kind of disconnect us from who we truly are. And so since I was about 25, when I had, uh, quite frankly, a, a breakdown, clinically it would have been called anxiety and depression, existential depression. In reality, it was like a rebirth or positive disintegration or uh, some kind of a spiritual emergence. That started at age 25 and, and I'm almost 40 now. And so it's been this continual process of, of like grieving different layers of, of things that I've been through that are in my body. 
all the things that have happened, all the blockages are in our bodies. They're, they're energetic, they're emotional. Um, so when I'm working with a person, I'm, I'm trying to cultivate that authentic presence and relationality, and that cultivates in the relational field the possibility that the other person can come into their uniqueness and their authenticity. And it's going to be different than mine because we're all unique. And yet the process is universal because we're all unique and we're all the same at the same time in, in this paradoxical kind of way. And I ask questions. I explore family history. Uh, I talk about things that have caused them suffering or are causing them suffering. And when a person opens up to those things or uncovers those feelings that maybe they weren't even conscious of, it, it starts this process of, of, of unburdening. It starts this process of like the sedimentary layers that have been built up over time starting to break up a little bit. So, so the light of the soul or the true self can start to shine through. And when another person is witnessed in their suffering, it's very different than when we're suffering on our own. Um, to be seen, to be heard, to be loved allows us to thaw out. And as we thaw out, we also feel more. And and this is part of the challenge is as we as we thaw out and our hearts open more, we also become even more sensitive to to the incoherence of the world that we're living in and, and society and like if you really if you really 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 think about it the way that westernized society is operating what are we doing like what needs are being met here like legitimately it doesn't it's not serving anybody in particular it's serving itself in almost this like weird narcissistic mm-hmm. even the people who quote unquote are hyper wealthy and the powerful ones their needs aren't being met either so the whole system is is isn't even geared towards towards life it's not geared towards human life it's not geared towards life on the planet so so in some in some way this system needs to transform to a life affirming system where human health and wellness and the health of the natural world is what is prioritized and in some ways that's extremely simple in in principle but very difficult in practice but i'm just recognizing i went on a little bit of a tangent uh from the original question Um, but of course it's all interconnected so yeah so uh let me ask you this then if this is a new a new area it is basically coming to its own starting um what six six or seven years ago um is it recognized in any country's health system yet is it has it been given has it been elevated to a a line item in anybody's benefit plan anywhere saying okay this is real we're going to cover this or not not uh, not that i know of i mean the american psychological association is is often you know the psychiatric is is often kind of like people follow that right so when when the apa recognized this it became much more kind of like uh, conventionally legitimate you found me in the Climate Psychology Alliance, right? Um, which again, organization that's only a few years old, um, that is again, more and more practitioners are recognizing that clients are bringing these these environmental related issues to the consulting room and we're feeling it too as, as practitioners. So as individuals and uh, like it's still very much, there are people who are focusing on it, but it's not at a, any kind of a, a, a systemic level. and. In some ways, it wouldn't even make sense if it was like. And so, what I mean by that is, it seems absurd to me that somebody's. Let's just say that there was a we we called eco anxiety or climate grief like a, a disorder, 
right? And we, we would we would then treat that disorder. That's insane. Like that that's actual insanity because people's reactions to the destruction of their habitat is a perfectly healthy response. There's nothing pathological whatsoever. So it's just really strange that the systems that I'm embedded in as a healthcare provider are actually in a lot of ways contributing towards the problem that I'm working to try to make better. And this is, I think the nature of a lot of the systems that we're all kind of embedded in is, it's like you're you're working towards one thing, but then the whole system pushes against and pushes it in a different direction. So there's no coherence. There's no, there's, there's no, it's, it's scattered and, and kind of schizophrenic in that sense of like silos and disconnection and parts not speaking to each other. And so, you know, like to get rid of eco-anxiety would be to get rid of being human. Like it's, it's, this is not going to be going away anytime soon. I don't want to pathologize it. I want to honor it as like, as a, as a, a, like in a sacred way that when our hearts are open and we're, we're compassionate and we're feeling these things, that is almost like the, the most human thing that we can imagine. And so, you know, in some ways we could look at all of these converging crises that are happening and we could see them as an opportunity for a disintegration of the existing systems or of existing self systems, all of these structures that are not actually serving life and, you know, working towards systems that actually do kind of serve life. And so in my kind of little niche that I work in with, with clients, my work, and it's, it's not enough by any means. It is suitable to my nature as a person and, and, and my personality and my skills. I'm helping people to connect with what is unique and authentic to them. Because when we can ground ourselves and center ourselves in that, we can withstand the storm. Okay. We, we, we work, we can come back to a place of groundedness within ourselves, even when our hearts open and it causes that we can, we can find ways to come back and kind of ground ourselves in who we are and what we are. And as we do that, we also then experience authentic relationship with others. Because when we're being our honest selves, other people can be their honest selves. That creates more connection and coherence. Then we can work together as individuals, but also collectively to make the world a, a better place. It, it kind of, it's, it's like exponential kind of shifts like uh, across space and time. I can kind of see it and even feel it happening while also this darkness or this, this, this constriction of these systems don't want to let go. So we're in this like real tension between like what could be and what is. There's so many things need to change internally and externally. And I'm contributing in, in my, my, uh, my small way. And if everybody kind of in their own domain of work or in their own household, everybody was kind of doing little things or taking little actions, starting conversations, that would be enough to shift everything. It, it really would. It, it, it's, it seems like a bit of a pipe dream, but it's not if enough people start kind of waking up and taking that action. So that's kind of what, what I'm committed to. Yeah. So well, I, I, I'm thinking of the people who are listening and, and they're breathing heavily or, or shortest, shortness of breath because there's this weight on their shoulders. And, and I'm taking away a couple of things of what you're saying. Yes. One is it's perfectly normal. You're, you're there's a real wrong living... Idea. Uh, breathing yeah. human being and God yeah. bless you for worrying about the the universe I mean that, mm -hmm. is, that is that is what we are here to do so you're normal uh, yes. so you can accept mind, it you can kind of accept, and that accept pain. It. and it's not it's nothing wrong with you 
this is really upsetting and you're feeling that and that is a sign of your humanity and so then we can turn towards it even more instead of kind of resisting it as something bad or something that that is wrong or something if we can open up to the pain it it takes care of itself in a sense it just that's grief is is feeling suffering crying often or, or getting angry, like processing the emotion and then eventually the weight's gone eventually the weight lifts but it'll come back right because because the trauma that is the world, uh, the dysfunction that are the issues that we're facing, it's not like a single event. This is an ongoing process. So it will require ongoing grieving. Um, and ideally with other people. Um, and almost, that's what I wanted to yeah. ask you about. Yes, of course. Um, yeah. you, you suggested with other people. Yes. I, I completely agree. Yes. And so that it doesn't become a moaning bitching session and becomes something that's cathartic and helpful. What, yes. in your opinion, yeah. is the best way to congregate or or move in in a similar circle? How do you how do you pull people together to yeah. to release all this? Yeah, because so... your time is valuable. Um, people are not going to be, not everyone is going to be able to reach out to you in your groups or your sessions. No, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. What, what can they, what can they do? So, so I'm not sure. Have you heard of the Good Grief Network? Is that something else? I've never heard of that. So the Good Grief Network, um, it's relatively new in the last few years. Uh, actually the, the founder just, uh, released a book not too long ago. It's, uh, how to live in a chaotic climate. I mean, let me just like just briefly just read this or a little bit on the back. So ego distress is real. How to live in a chaotic climate is here to help you rediscover meaning, joy and connection as the tumult around us increases. Based on the Good Grief Network's acclaimed 10 steps to resilience and empowerment in a chaotic climate program. So the Good Grief Network has has trained people kind of all I don't know if it's all over North America or the world. I think maybe just North America and these are, these are groups where people like people just come and they start talking about their grief, talking about their pain as, as a group. I don't think it costs any money. I, I'm, uh, I may be mistaken about that, I, I think, or if it is, it's a very nominal amount. Um, and the 10 kind of steps, and let me just briefly kind of outline, it goes, it goes deep and broad. So we need to accept the severity of the predicament. So we need to be honest about how bad things actually are. Number two is to be with the uncertainty. Number three is to honor my mortality and the mortality of all. We're all gonna die at some point, whether it's via climate change or just natural causes, like we all end up dying. Number four is to do the inner work. And that's kind of what I was talking about with the inner nature and the grieving. Number five is to develop awareness of your biases and perception. We all have blind spots. We all have judgments of others that can get in the way of connection and uh, authenticity. Number six is, six is to practice gratitude, seek beauty, and create connection. Number seven is to take breaks and rest. Number eight is to grieve the harm that I have caused. Because as, as members of the system, we all have caused harm and continue to. And that's painful to reconcile inside of us. Number nine is to show up. So to not hide away or kind of cower as a victim or cower in fear, although that's perfectly understandable. But to, but to be honest with ourselves and show up uh, with ourselves and with others. And then finally, to reinvest in meaningful efforts. 
and that's more action oriented in terms of you know addressing issues in your community or donating money and, and those types of things wow i like it i like it for um a, a couple of reasons it, it gets to the core of what a human is all about yes it's not religious it's more yep. spiritual yep and there's some very pragmatic and commonsensical things in there that yeah. as long as you're willing to do the work they are going to work yep. there's no question that some of that is is definitely going to work i've included the link to the good grief network in the show notes because that's where you can find the book that eric was reading from for me the 10 different things that he listed that one can take they're not difficult and that point is what I really want to emphasize today. Far too often we get so wrapped up in our thoughts, our heads, and our ideas that we just can't see a simple way out. Yet, as Eric showed today, the way out is always simple. In terms of climate or eco-anxiety, there is no immediate solution. However, there are steps we can begin to take. And those steps, well, those are super easy for any of us, isn't it? Put one foot in front of the other and just take one step forward. And then one day, after taking a bunch of steps forward, look back and realize just how far you've actually come. Listen, I know it's not easy living in our world right now. And in so many ways, we are living with the unintended consequences of actions we as human beings have taken over the last 200 years. And if the people I talk to are any indication, if we had the chance, we'd all ask for a do-over, wouldn't we? Well, that do-over is simply not possible. The best we can do is a do-better. And that do-better must be in the highest good for all. 